0: You're listening to the Corporate Quitter Podcast, where it's all about exploring possibilities for making an honest living outside of the traditional nine to five. And welcome to Corporate Quitter. I'm your host, Gabby Ionello. And today's guest I have on is Sunil Godse. He spent his career implementing intuitive branding to earn the trust of strangers in under 14 seconds. Leveraging intuitive branding has not only allowed him to successfully grow a number of his own ventures, but has also helped accelerate the success of other businesses, including Fortune 500 companies, by doubling their profits and solidifying their brand as the preferred choice in the marketplace. So thank you so, so much for being on. I know a lot of guests are really looking to basically connect with their audience and these strangers. So the fact that you're able to do it in 14 seconds is really, really cool.
1: Excellent. Yeah. Thank you so much for inviting me to speak. I'm really looking forward to this and hoping to drop a couple of knowledge bombs now. And we'll get into exactly what some of your listeners can do starting right after they listen to get in touch with their intuition so that they make better decisions personally and professionally.
0: Yeah. I know for a fact there, because right after our initial call for the prep of this, I was like, oh my God, I need to like follow this guy. He like knows things that I need to know for business. And I know a lot of other people need to know too. So thank you. But uh, can you get into your story? Like, did you go to school for speaking, like business? Like, how did you get into being the guru around basically leveraging the intuitive practices and branding and all that to really, you know, launch businesses and double their profits?
1: Absolutely. So so a lot of it was really kind of looking kind of at the past. And so the real... Thrust of me starting this was when I after I wrote my first book called Fail Fast, Succeed Faster, and the premise of that book was really that if I was to write the stories of those who failed, and so I interviewed close to three hundred people, seventy five stories made it in the book. Then conceptually, if you read this book, then you should be able to succeed faster because here are these people that have already failed for you. So don't make that mistake. And so when I used to go speaking on stages around the world about the book, the one question I kept getting asked was, "Okay, Sunil, give me the one thing." That's going to make me successful. And that's when I used to do the proverbial eye rolls to say, okay, come on. I didn't come here with a PDF sheet or a cue card. Here's a 400-page book with all these experiences of failure until I went back to the audio recordings. And when I went back to the audio recordings, I looked at the lens from, okay, what was the difference between success and failure here? And so... Very quickly, I realized 80 to 90% of the people I interviewed used some form of, I ignored my intuition. I ignored my gut. I should have trusted the decision I made. I should have trusted myself. Something like that. It was all pointing to this thing called intuition. And I'm thinking, oh my God, Like I missed this common thread. And so I said, okay, so let me look back to my experiences. And I distinctly remember when I was five years old, there were these video games that I wanted to buy. And my dad said, they're too expensive. I remember walking in this forest, reflecting on my dad and this voice, loud voice said, Sunil, go door to door to raise money. And that's exactly what I did.
0: Bold for a (laughs) five-year-old. Five
1: years old. I took my two and a half year old brother who was in diapers, got him to come and lots of milk and cookies, but we raised $200 and $100 went to my dad and the other $100 went to the charity because my school was doing that at a time. And I loved that. And so that was sort of my first brush with intuition. And then what I found out is as I aged, I started listening to other people, you know, being a South Asian male, what did my dad want? What did all these other people want? All of a sudden, my signals, because that voice was a signal, and we'll talk about signals in a moment, started getting weaker and weaker, and I started losing some. And so when I look at the times where I ignored my intuition, there were three incidences that immediately come up. One was my career, you know, being a South Asian male, four doors, doctor, lawyer, engineer, or failure. And I was actually an entrepreneur because I was doing so many things entrepreneurial in nature that got me to succeed in either marketing, sales, running businesses, or things like that when I was younger. But I drank the East Indian Kool-Aid and became the engineer. And I hated it. There were aspects that I loved about engineering for sure, but as a career, it just wasn't for me. And Two years into that career, I had a chance to be a private investor with a Mexican restaurant chain that was coming up to Canada. And very soon within a year, I was making five times more in dividends than I was as a full-time engineer. And so the dam had to break. I told my dad I'm quitting engineering, and I never spoke to him for a number of years after that. But what that did allow me to do is go into entrepreneurship. And really soon over the next several years, I had close to $20 million in revenues through a number of businesses in the clothing, entertainment, pop-up event area. And it was all really based on these relationships that I established, the trust that I had around the people that I had come and help me with some of the businesses that I ran. Um, and so now I'm gathering a bit of this evidence to see, okay, what makes a successful business? In my mind, success doesn't need me millions of dollars. Success needs just means to be, I'm so enthralled with how I'm living my life as an entrepreneur. And to me, that was success. And then I became a management consultant and there was this contract in silicon valley that was lots of money i mean they were throwing so much money at me but the contract terms started changing and again my intuition was saying you better back away i got this feeling back away don't do it and i phoned down to the legal department and the hr department and what they were saying my intuition was saying don't believe them and yet i was so enamored with the dollar amount saying wow you know i'm about to be married this is going to really put a lot of money in my pocket. And I went down there, spent every single penny, and they never paid me. And I came back to Canada with 23 cents in my bank account. Uh, Luckily, my wife was in India at the time where I met her. And I remember coming over the Canadian, the US-Canadian border, there, Canada border. And she's phoning, saying, how are things going, sweetheart? And I said, you know what? Things are going really well. I'm just heading back up to Calgary, Canada to settle in and find the next opportunity. And meanwhile, I didn't know where I was sleeping that night. But perhaps the most devastating of all which really got me to understand intuition was when I was in engineering, I was doing personal coaching at the time and I had a really good friend reach out to me to tell me she needed some urgent advice. She was being stalked at the time and I had nothing to do that afternoon. My intuition was saying, meet her that afternoon. Yet I had a number of uh, buddies of mine convince me, come on, let's just go for beers. You can meet that person a couple of days later. So I told her, do you mind if we meet a couple of days later? And she said, Sure. And the very next day, that guy walked up to her at a bus shelter and put a bullet through her forehead. <gasps> no. And he killed her instantly. Now, when I reflect back on the times where I ignored my intuition and the times I, I've trusted it, I really needed to take a deep dive to understanding what it was. And so given my engineering background, when I started this journey, intuitionology back in 2016, a lot of the research at that time was around manifestation, voices from God, things just happening, and there's no explanation. And that's fine if people believe that. I'm not here to poo-poo any of that. But I actually needed something a little bit more scientific in nature, just because of my engineering backgrounds. It's like if you look at a piece of steel, steel has like mass-like properties and wave-like properties. And I had a tendency to think intuition kind of like that. Like I needed to really kind of anchor it in something that gives me a better belief system. And so I went to a colleague of mine who was a neurologist and I went to interview him on intuition. I had no clue what he was going to say. He said, yeah, come on into the hospital and I'll talk to you about it. And I honestly thought this was going to be a five minute conversation. And I went to his office, put on the camera and I said, you know, Michelle, does does intuitionology exist? I was actually honestly expecting him to just be negative, wishy-washy. And the first thing that comes out of his mouth is it absolutely exists. We all have this sixth sense. He uses it for his patients. And he says more and more neuroscience research is coming out that intuition acts much earlier than we think it does. And then he goes on to explain some of the neurological things with the how we say gut feeling and things like that. And I was shocked. Like I was really floored. And so I said, okay, so there's research to this. Let's go find that out. And so I went to an academic database, typed in the word intuition, and I was really expecting maybe 10, 15 papers, 53,000 articles on intuition since 1990. When I looked at intuition and business and entrepreneurship, more than half of the research was done on intuition and business, intuition and relationships, close to two-thirds. Now I have this sort of, on a percentage basis, this tie between intuition and things about entrepreneurship, business, and relationships. and so. Let's dive into what Michelle was trying to say, how it happens much earlier than we think it does. So a couple of things I was thinking, okay, if I heard it when I was five years old, then perhaps we're born with it. And lo and behold, there's this paper that showed that infants as young as two months old have been shown to have intuitive capabilities, or what this paper says is intuitive physics. Then I looked at where does it pop up in the brain? And this is one of the reasons why I struggled with the definition, because I couldn't pin one down, is the reason is because your intuition hits the amygdala, which is the emotional center of the brain. There's zero capacity for language. So when we talk about that gut feeling or that voice or what we call intuitive signals, they're all unique to us because our experiences are unique. We're all born with it. And so therefore, we will all describe the same thing in a different way. The commonality is that we're all talking about intuition. And then when we look at the delay between it happening and making decisions or action, two papers had shown that intuition happens on average seven to 10 seconds before we actually make that decision. And similar experiments are entrepreneurs. And with entrepreneurs, they measured things like heart rate and skin conductance as measures of an intuitive reaction, a reaction to intuition. And they found that that reaction happened on average seven seconds before that entrepreneur made a business decision. So here's all these experiences showing that it happens way before we actually know about it. And then when we looked at trust, because in anything that we want to do in the relationships that we have and in business, everything is really, really built on trust. Trust in the brand, trust in the product, trust in the person you work for. And it's that sense, that feeling that you get that's going to gravitate you to people in business or in life. And that trust was developed in the two papers I looked at, 10 to 14 seconds, in under 10 to 14 seconds, And another paper I just recently discovered three weeks ago that came out of the UK, 33 milliseconds. That's how quick trust is developed using your intuition. And so I really had to figure out, okay, I had these signals. And so what are these signals that I got? And so I interviewed over a thousand people to figure out how their signals worked for them. And I found out that there were two types of signals. There were positive and negative signals. So the positive signals are the ones that have us move ahead. And so for me, it's like the dots are connecting. It feels like there's a flow. And in terms of uniqueness, there's a CEO that has run Two multi-million dollar businesses now, all based on this omen that pops up on his right shoulder. So whether he's dealing with an employee, a vendor, a business partner, or a business opportunity, if this omen pops up, he immediately says yes. And like I said, two multi-million dollar companies now, two different areas. One is online shopping. The other one is now online clothing, um, bespoke clothing. And the negative signals are the ones that we typically get where there's a rubbing. It's It's uncomfortable. And for me, it's like that gut feeling or what happens often is I lose my focus. So my peripheral vision absolutely is lost. And once I know that my peripheral vision is lost in combination with my eyebrows trying to come together, something's wrong. That's one of my very distinct negative intuitive signals. And there was another entrepreneur I was talking with when I was interviewing him on intuition in his entrepreneurial career. He had no clue what his intuitive signals are because that's not something that we would talk about. Like I'd say, hey, Gabby, let's go for latte. Your intuitive signals? You know, he's like, this guy's nuts, man. So so he just nobody's just ever asked him that. But yet, as he's talking about all the business opportunities he got into, the ventures that he went into for the wrong reasons, like ego, fame, or money, he kept grabbing his left earlobe and then it just dawned on him. He goes, oh my God, Sunil, I just realized that every time I ignored my intuition, my left earlobe started piercing with heat and everything now came back together and he couldn't explain it. His wife even told him maybe he should go to the doctor you know, previously, but he just didn't realize. So that's again, that uniqueness that it comes to the intuitive signals. And the thing with the negative signals is that they actually start very subtle in nature. And then, as you continue to ignore these negative signals, they actually get louder or they change. And in some cases, I had someone who was in a bad relationship and she actually heard the words, get out. And there was another fellow I interviewed and he was in an Uber and he's been ignoring his intuition. This guy was running a nine figure company. And in the back of this Uber, his intuition just spit out the words, you're going to quit. And so he just walks into his boardroom, nine figure company.
0: Nine figures. Jesus.
1: Yeah. It's in the billions. Yeah. He was running a mortgage company in the billions. And so you can imagine these guys, you know, and he had to justify He can't just say my intuition told me, obviously, you know, they'd probably give him uh, the number to a psych ward.
0: It's true though. When you start talking to people like this, like about these not science-based or rational-based thinking, they're kind of like, whoa, like this person's crazy. They don't know what they're talking about. They're going to throw everything away. But the fact that A, this person, probably he's been training himself to pick up on those signals and that just came through as a voice. But like the fact too, that you have so many different studies and science to prove like these are the things, this works like, right. And there are different things that are happening in the brain, in the body to show that it's not just like woo woo. And it's just another person who's trying to sell you on like a yoga retreat or like whatever it is to find like your purpose or something.
1: Yeah, absolutely. And I think what nobody's ever really done is, I've been told I'm the first one to actually really do this, is take a real deep dive into what intuition is. And so what I really wanted to know is what fuels these signals? What are some of the things that are common when I interviewed over, it's probably now over 1,300 people that is common to these? And what I found is is there's actually four types of intuition that fuel these signals. And the best way I can describe this is using an example from a non-believer. And so one of the guys I interviewed was a fellow, a really good friend of mine, John Rothschild. And at that time, he was CEO of the, this company called Care Operations. And so this guy was an investment banker for 30 years. And so data spreadsheets just ruled his life. So when I phoned him up, say, hey, John, listen, I'm doing a project on intuition. I just want to get to your thoughts. And he goes, look, Sunil, intuition just, it just doesn't exist. You know what? I'll give you an hour. I haven't seen you in a while. So let's talk about whatever. Okay. You can ask me whatever you want on intuition. I don't think we're going to get very far. And then let's just catch up for the rest of the hour. So I'm driving down to see him. I'm kind of worried now, saying, okay, how long is this interview going to be? And so I turn on the camera. I say, okay, John. I started telling him about the CEO that sees the omens and ran two multimillion dollar companies now. And he goes, Sunil, you know, honestly, like I would love to, like these manifestations, all these voices, like, I would love to shake this guy's hand, but look, intuition is all based on experience and learning. And so now we're going to start to get into the four types of intuition. One of the four types of intuition is called experiential intuition. And so what happens is if you look at your brain like an iceberg, 90% is below water. That's the subconscious area of the brain. 10% is the conscious above water. Your intuition ever since you're born puts every single piece of learning, both good and bad, formal and informal, your experiences every single day. And when we're young, we make five to 6,000 decisions a day, 28 to 35,000 a day when we're older. Every single day, you've got these data points constantly going into your subconscious area of your brain. So now you have this library of billions and billions of data points. When you go to make a decision, your intuition goes into the subconscious area of your brain picks up those things that you've done in the past that either worked or didn't work, and then it's going to inform you with a signal. So if you're making a decision and in the past you made a similar decision, it's going to say, yep, you've done it before. You can trust yourself to move ahead. Here's a positive signal. Or if you've made a similar decision in the past and it didn't work out, your intuition is going, uh ah, uh ah, uh ah, uh ah, ah. Gabby, you've done something like that before and it didn't work out. Here's a subtle intuitive signal that I'm going to give you say, that's not the right decision to make. And then when you ignore that one, saying, okay, listen, Gabby, I've already told you once. Now I'm going to either intensify that signal or I'm going to throw something completely out. And I'm going to keep gnawing at you until either something happens and you hit rock bottom, or you're actually going to listen to me, one of the two. And so this is how these signals work. And so when I was telling John, I said, sometimes your intuition has you go against the data and he goes, That's really funny you mentioned that, Sunil, because something like that did happen to me. And I said, Okay, tell me about that experience. And so John was in the business of doing franchises. So, you know, things like a McDonald's or a Wendy's or Dunkin' Donuts, something like that. So, what his team would look at is that they would look at if they're going to put a location, they'd have it on a scale of 10. And a nine out of 10 would mean that that's a great location of our franchise. They look at demographics, traffic patterns, and just sort of the development of the area as examples. So there was this dilapidated area of Toronto, Canada, where his team looked at it and it was a five and a half out of 10. And now we're getting it into the second of the four called situational intuition. John walks into this area of Toronto and he looks around and it's dilapidated. You know, He had people that are just coming there, just getting drunk and all that stuff. And what he wanted to do is put something there that was showing people how to do beer pairings with uh, cheeses and wines and all that stuff. And his, his, he's saying, huh, you know what, Sunil? Something was telling me, now he's saying, perhaps intuition, I'm not sure. So John started to get convinced. Something's telling me to put the location here. And so he goes against his team's advice and he put a location there. That happened to be the most profitable location out of all his brands called the beer market. And then at some point, John went from wanting to be an investment banker to actually wanting to run a business. His purpose changed Now we're going to get into the third of the four called relational intuition. And relational intuition, that's the one that helps you establish trust. And it looks at things like body language, your words, you're making sure they're watching the actions, what's written in an email, what's the tone of that. And it filters people through so that the only people that you trust are the ones that you listen to, are the ones that really care about where you're going. And it discards all the rest. And very quickly, what he realized that when his purpose changed, All the people that were concerned about money, fame, ego, high-end restaurants, private jets, limousines, security, all of those people said, John, you are stupid. You are nuts. The only person that actually stopped to ask him why and actually support him was his wife. And his wife was saying, John, why do you want to do this? And now I'm going to be paraphrasing from John. This is now one hour in the interview from him saying it doesn't exist to now him telling me about this incident. Sunil, you know what? Sometimes you can have all the data in the world, but at some point you have to go with your intuition. And he looked at his wife and he said, this just feels right. And there's the intuitive signal. And so the fourth of the four is creative intuition, which actually makes the decision. So if you're actually eating a sandwich or you know turning right at the lights, that's not really creative. That's pretty low on the creative scale. You know, It's just sort of mundane. But in John's case, now you would think that, is John's intuition would pick a company that had you know high revenues, healthy balance sheet, uh, you know good cash flow. Not his intuition. His intuition says, you know, buddy, you're going to run this tiny bankrupt little restaurant. And he says, okay. He quits his 3 to $4 million a year job, rolls up his sleeves and starts from not just ground zero, below ground zero with this restaurant. That restaurant ended up being Eastside Mario's location number one. And he grew that to over a thousand locations billion in revenues after 20 years. And then he retired all because it felt right. And that's the power of intuition.
0: Wow. It's cool too that you took someone who was like a non-believer and basically showed them so many different avenues in which intuition is actually there. We just maybe either A, disguise it as something else or continually show them through these different examples or success stories that like, yes, it's true. People do it all the time, especially people who are like at the top of the chain, the elite, if you will, versus just like some random person who maybe doesn't have the track record that they would. That's really cool. I, it's inspiring too, right? So I don't feel like such a quack when I talk about stuff like this too.
1: Yeah, and, and a lot of it is, so these are things that where people have a white flag saying, I'm using my intuition. So these are things like for me to take them from zero to hero was about me getting him him to define it, right? So for him, it wasn't about manifestation or voices from God. For him, it was about experiences and actual data. It was about the team. Consistently, what he said is about the franchisees. It was about the team members. It was about the relationships. So when I look at intuition, this is very much an individual journey. It's his experiences, his definition, his signals, how he sees it, his evidence, all I'm doing is I'm shining a light on this thing saying, here's a piece of evidence. Here's a piece of evidence. Here's a piece of evidence. And then you take this non-believer within an hour to say a believer because he's painting his own picture. I'm just the one putting in the numbers to say, okay, paint here, paint here, paint here. And all of a sudden you take this jagged canvas with just a lot of numbers in it into a full picture. Oh my God, I never realized what intuition was until you've explained it for me. And that's the uniqueness that everybody has to have. So you know, there was another guy from 3M. He was another buddy of mine, vice president from 3M. And I was interviewing him and I had another person coming in. Same guy in operations. He actually went against the grain. This guy had like 25 year career in using one set of packaging for the medical products he was looking at. And there was another packaging that came in and he intuitively knew that he couldn't use the same packaging. And that when it came under him, it was always losing money because of the packaging that was used the same way he had used it for 25 years. And there's an intuition saying, no, we can't package like that for this product. He changes the packaging. It goes from a loss to a profit instantly. He had no prior experience in that. He just intuitively knew. Yet the colleague that I had with him was talking about, do you see intuition from a spiritual side? He looks at her saying, what drugs are you on? Right. So, <laughs> yeah.
0: so for, him,
1: for him, it's about that experience. But there are others that say it's voices from God. I had an NHL coach, a former NHL coach for the New York Rangers, And uh, he's in Russia, Kazakhstan. And he says it comes from the cosmos. And so he trusts his intuition, goes against the coaches to sometimes put like a third-rate player on a penalty shootout. And everybody on the bench, including the assistant coaches, are looking at him going, he's drunk. Yet that was the right person to put in. The guy scores a goal and they win the game. And everybody's going, oh my God, how did you know? And it was because of his intuition, which according to him comes from the cosmos. Now, you can look at these people saying, there's something wrong with you, but we're using our own lens as that, as a basis of normal for others. And you can't do that. You do what you consider normal for you, what's right for you. And that's how you live your life. And when we talk about people always talking about living in the present moment, what they often don't do is they don't do that. They talk about it. And and this happened to me when I was a child. and, And as I was talking about my story is that Over time, what happens is we start to live our lives through the the values, opinions, and beliefs of others. And we're so wrapped up. And a lot of times it comes from some kind of trauma when we were younger. And so a lot of my personal coaching deals with dealing with that trauma when they were zero to seven, essentially. And when we open that up, we honor that that experience happened, but we take the emotion out of it. It frees them from being stuck, tied into those relationships. And then they start to live life they want. And that's how they ignore their intuition is because their focus is somewhere else, not on their values. And to give you a really good example, a corporate example, there was a fellow by the name of Vin Jang. And he was a, uh, an international magician. This guy in 2016, 100,000 people a year, 80 stages around the world to all, to everybody. He was on fire. This is like a guy on fire. Like we need to have him come on a TEDx stage or what have you. Yet his intuition is saying, you are a broken man. And so he tells his wife, I got to fix this myself. He goes away to New Zealand, takes a bunch of uh, stuff with him, no cell phone service. And he starts putting up values on the wall. And he starts looking and says, these values were haunting me because I look at them. This is what my wife wants. This is what my manager wants. This is what everybody else wants. Where the heck is Vin? And so he takes those values down. Puts up his own values. He spends the time to think out how do I want to live my life? What he thought would be cathartic, what he thought would be freeing, was actually scary because for the first time in his life, he was giving himself permission to be in for the first time in his life ever. And so he goes through this cathartic experience and then he comes back to LA and he gets back to the same old thing, same friend circle, same I gotta have a brand on my shoulder. Same downtown LA apartment, Mercedes-Benz. I got to look the part. And six months in, his parents come up from Australia and they have a Vietnamese background. His mother comes up to him uses this Vietnamese saying. And she tells him, when you hang around squid, you're going to get some ink on you. You have a lot of ink on you. This is not my boy. And he just hits him like a ton of bricks. And he says, Absolutely. He gets rid of his friends immediately, sells the car, gets the minivan, sells the downtown LA apartment, moves out to the suburbs. And he even says, I will give myself permission to tell my wife I don't love her because I'm not honoring me. And of course he doesn't do that, still together with a lovely child, but he makes that decision. And so one of the things that I talk about when you don't listen to your intuition is something called opportunity cost. And so for Vin, I said to Vin, Vin, you know what? It's not just the six months that you lost When you ignored your intuition, it's also the six months that you lost in addition to that because you didn't trust your intuition, what you could have gained. So in fact, you've actually lost a full year of your life. And if you've lost a full year of your life and you're in the business of helping 100,000 people improve their lives, 100,000 entrepreneurs enhance their businesses, 100,000 people, uh, management people increase the revenues in their businesses, how many people have you left behind in that one year? how many people did you not help? And he said, Sunil, never thought about it like that. And the problem that we get into is that a lot of times we're faced with these fears. And remember, that it hits the amygdala. Uh, and the amygdala is it's you're either going to be eaten by a saber-tooth tiger or you're not. It's very simple. And if you're going to be eaten by a saber-tooth tiger, there's a negative intuitive signal. If you're not going to be eaten by a saber-tooth tiger, but your There's three types of fear, fear of failure, fear of the unknown, fear of change. We're so used and so comfortable being where we are that when our intuition is saying, go here, go there, that fear pops up. But that fear is accompanied by positive intuitive signal. And if you've done your homework on your signals, you know that fear, even though it's there, you got to go there because then one door of opportunity after another starts to open up. And so when that happens, that's when you move forward. And a great case study of this is a a fellow I I interviewed, David Dane. And David was in a wheelchair because he had cerebral palsy all his life. And he used to always go on vacations to beaches and he used to always, you know, be on the back saying, what if, what if I can just dip my toes in the water, just stand on the sand? What if one time his intuition gets so loud, he says, okay, I'm going to do it and so he gets his wife and his friends to wheel him up to the edge of the sand water barrier and they stand him up and he feels just just everything caressing his toes and then he falls flat in the water on his face and then the fear starts coming up. How embarrassing, what are the people gonna think? He's so worried about what everybody else is gonna think of him that he forgets about what he wants and then he says, Sunil, I had two things that I can do in that exact moment. One is I can succumb to the fear And go back in my wheelchair and forever sit in that thing for the rest of my life and not realize that I'm here turning a dream into a reality. Like, I'm right here. That dream I wanted to have, I can actually do it. Or the second thing is I can actually battle that fear and say, listen to that intuitive signal saying, Dave, come on, take a step in the water. It's okay. Dave, take another step in the water. It's okay. take another one. And that's exactly what he does. And one foot in front of the other, he walks into that water and the fear is still there, but it starts going down and down. And as the fear is going down, the water level is rising and the water gets up to his neck. And then he turns around. And when he turns around, he was blown away by how far he came. So the message in David's thing is, yes, we may have those fears, but when you take that step, In living in the present moment that your intuition is saying it's a positive step, it's a positive signal, you need to listen to that. And when you continue to live in the present moment like that, the opportunities come. You reach the goals. All the outputs happen. When you take care of the inputs, the outputs take care of themselves because you don't care about the outputs. You care about the inputs, the steps, the positive signals. That's what living in the present moment does. Like I said, I've interviewed over 1,200 people. And when they've lived in the present moment, then this door of opportunity comes. That door of opportunity comes. They didn't wish it. They didn't plan it. It just happened. And then you actually have to take action to open the door. And this is the one thing I talked about with manifestation experts. You can't just will it and it'll come. You have to act on it and will it, and it may come. And so again, depending upon what you think about manifestation, and that's the manifestation expert that I had, Sarah Prout. This was someone who left an abusive marriage with $30,000 in debt, two kids to feed, and was living homeless on the streets. She actually had to pick furniture off the side of roads that people had thrown out, and she would go into bathrooms where she'd actually steal the soap put together and then take home in public bathrooms so that her kids can have a shower. She started to trust her intuition, and sure enough, she started teaching people about manifestation. A couple of years later, she meets the love of her life on Twitter. And then more people find out about her story. And she starts teaching these things about really living in your moment, about intuition and manifestation and taking action. And she's now running a seven-figure business, right? Two wow. years later.
0: So how does like that even happen? Like, How do you even go from a place of like well, A, figuring out your own intuitive signals. Cause like you said, they're very different, but also how does that translate into business? Because especially 14 seconds, that's like, you know, that's like the length of a TikTok. Like how do you even like connect with people, land the idea and like, Teach me the secrets.
1: Yeah, yeah, for sure, for sure. So the first thing I do when I, whenever I get into uh, help businesses with intuitive branding is I work with the leadership or the entrepreneur first. And one of the first things we do is that we take a look at the intuition that they have and the four types and we optimize it because normally everybody is strong in one of the four, but you need all four. And so one of the things as I optimize that and then get them to really appreciate, okay, what are their values and how does that resonate with the core values of the company? And there has to be a synergistic relationship there. If your core values are just something you stick up on the wall, nobody's going to believe them. And most actually executives don't even know them themselves. If you look at the statistics, two thirds of executives, they can't even rhyme off their own core values. Yet they spend so much time in a boardroom doing that. Once you get to that place where you're actually living your truth, you're actually being authentic, you actually care uh, about people in a genuine way, the intuition of others are going to pick up on that. Now, remember, your trust happens in 33 milliseconds, right? Or in my case, under 14 seconds. I'm giving people a little bit more benefit of the doubt. So if I am a member of the management team, I got to trust you that you've got my back. If I'm looking to work with your company, I want you to honor me. I want you to make sure that you trust my creativity. You trust my opinions. You allow me to be part of the process. And that's why I'm going to work for you. And we look at all the stats with the the Gen Xs and Gen Zs, and you'll go from like, say, 14 years with my generation to 3.9 years to 3.2 years from Gen X to Gen Z in terms of longevity in a company. So one may say that they're lazy, but I would say that they're just looking to, to work with a company that really cares for them. They're about that balance. They're about that value. They're about, you need to trust me. I can do it. And so many businesses are operating on such an old business model. They're very tactical. They're very transactional. Here's a society of people, like I think 56% of the workforce is coming out now that are looking at this value-based you know work environment. There's a clash. The old behemoths are going to die a very quick death. That Again, that trust is in under 14 seconds. And those companies that actually say, I do care about you in a genuine way, I'm going to allow your opinions. Those are the kind of companies that are going to crush the competition because that trust is developed in 14 seconds with your employees. And then when you have the trust of your employees, if you look at the Stadelman report that talks about trust in the workplace, if you have a trusting environment, your employees are 37% more productive. 31% of that goes right to the bottom line. So it's almost like if you have a genuinely trusted environment, you automatically increase your profits by 31%. Automatically. All you're doing is saying, I care for you. I'm empathetic. It doesn't mean that they can't do the processes. It doesn't mean that they can't slack off. That is not what we're talking about when it comes to empathy. It's just that you actually genuinely care about that person. And we all look at it, right? We can meet someone that we're talking to, you can tell if they really care for you or not. They care for what you're saying or not. I mean, you just look to our friends. Look to the people we don't associate with. That's the relationship that I have. And I was on a podcast interview just a couple of weeks ago and someone said, how come you know, there's no empathy in the workplace? It's hard to have empathetic relationships in the workplace. CEOs aren't that. And I said, well, do those CEOs have families? Do they have friends? Do they go for beers or coffees? Yeah. So they are empathetic. So why is it that we walk in through a door and all of a sudden shut that off? We shouldn't be doing that. All the people are saying is just treat me like a person. Let me do my stuff. You've hired me for my talents. Let me unleash my talents. And when you do that, they're the ones, the employees are the ones that are putting the efficiencies in. The employees are the ones, they're the frontline people that have that customer journey mapped. They're the ones that are going to ask the customers, what else can we do for you in a genuine way? And when the customers have that trust, because... How many of us are sold through these really ridiculous marketing messages? Hey, you know, we get this push about selling right away. They don't care about us. I mean, I get this through LinkedIn uh, DMs all the time, right? Instantly, you know, this person just doesn't care for me or what I want. Instantly there's your 14 seconds. So when your employees really care about the customer journey, when your company really cares about what I value as a product, what are you solving for my value, my needs, which is where your marketing comes in and which is how your sales should be delivered. Now we're getting into hardcore areas of businesses. Then it's going to bind me to you to buy your products and services. And the statistics show that it's six times cheaper to sell to an existing customer than it does uh, a new customer. And if I'm 25% more likely to buy from you a second time at three times the value, I'm 52% likely to buy a second time and 76% likely to buy a third time. And what a way to drive your revenues. And 99% of the businesses are not doing that. And so really, in 14 seconds or less, when you have your employees trusting you, your customers trusting you and the marketplace trusting you, that trifecta that happens in now 33 milliseconds has you crushed your competition because nobody else is doing that. And that's how you do it. I'll give you a perfect case study. I had a company I was working for. They were struggling at $400,000 and they were going downhill quickly. And I came in at that time, I was a bit of a turnaround specialist I had helped a number of companies turn around. And so they had caught wind of that and they said, know, can you help us? And the one thing I said is, okay, the caveat I have when I come in is that don't second guess my decisions. And the first thing I come in is I noticed there's zero trust between the employees and the management. It's very, very apparent body language. You can tell about the type of questions, the tone of the questions how they're asking, it was very clear. There was zero trust. They were questioning everything. So the first thing when I came on board, even though they were struggling at $400,000 and cash was an issue, I raised all the salaries. And so now here's these CEOs saying, what the hell did we just sign with this guy? And their eyebrows are raised. And I said, you got to trust me. And all I did was that they were so undervalued. All I did was I valued them to the marketplace and a little bit higher, a little bit of an incentive. And then what I did is I said, okay, we need to right this ship. The ship is failing, it's falling. How do we write it up so that it's it's actually floating again? And so because of that trust I developed on that and I communicated with them and got them to have mini wins about them helping improve the processes, they were there for me time and time again. And within a year, we were starting to not only right the ship, but we were starting to raise our profitability. And then I went on an expansion hunt and pretty soon I was able to just concentrate on expansion, all the backend filling, all the processes, all the transactional stuff was all done by the employees. They did everything so that I can expand. And then pretty soon we went from 400,000 and struggling to three and a half million dollars in two years. And to give you a sense of the average in this, this was in the healthcare space, the same type of firm in that same healthcare space on average made, I'd say, anywhere from a quarter of a million to $400,000 per location. We were making about a million dollars location two and a half times in the same space. It was the physiotherapy, massage therapy space. Same space. And the evidence was incredible. We had people that instead of one customer coming in, we would have five come in all at the same time because everybody was having an amazing time. We developed friendships in our clinics. And so they would all get treated at the same time. So now we have five times the revenue in the same time slot just because everybody's joking around and having a good time. We're still offering the services. You know, We we sent out postcards for their birthdays and get 10% off any kind of massage product. They've never had that before. They've never seen that in that city. Then, oh, my friend has a birthday. Can I use the same one? Absolutely. Give it to five friends. What do we care? And so our bookings went from, there was a 68% show rate, or which it's a 32% no-show rate, to a less than 1% no-show rate. And I'm telling you, it just transformed. I left after two and a half years because that was the end of my contract and I asked for equity and they said no because I saw the potential. Both co-CEOs didn't agree. One didn't agree and he was actually the problem. He was the main problem and he was the one that should have left. And I think this company would have been successful. I left after two and a half years and it went back to the same way. And that whole company imploded in six months. Gone back. I'm telling you, this would have been a $10 million company easily. I had the roadmap. I had the locations ready. Procedures and processes were already built in. It was just go or no go. That was it. What happened was no relationship, no trust, egos, lying, changing contracts without permission, Six months later, that's how quickly that trust gets eroded. And the only reason why that got eroded that quickly is because people need time to look for jobs elsewhere. I had people panicking once they had heard I was going. My phone was going buzzing. Sunil, where are you going next? What are you doing next? And in fact, there was another company that was an offshoot of this one that had me help them for the next year. They went from zero to, I think we got it to about 1.2 million within a year. Same space again, one location, 1.2. They opened a second location. They reached over 2 million. Again, a million per year in that same space in a smaller city using the same procedures I did. And of course they were happy, right? And then they, they brought a number of other employees with them to help with that transition because they went where the trust was, right? And again, they 14 seconds. And that's the secret to business. And it's not really a secret because we all can have that trust. I'm not sure why it's a such secret.
0: Like you said it's not a secret, but I feel like again, what they say, quote unquote, is that you know, you have to go by numbers and rationality and like all of these very business centered logistics and strategies. Whereas when you go back to like the human experience, like what people actually enjoy, a value based model, like actually having fun, which having fun is the freaking secret, like it is the secret. Like when you have fun, things are good. I think things are changing in business, as you probably see. Like, we're going from let's like be the used car salesman and get the people in and squeeze as much as we can out of them. And then like, sorry, goodbye. Like we don't care to now nurturing those relationships. And instead of making a sale within maybe 10 minutes, you know, after six months of building that relationship, you make the sale and they tell all their friends cause they love it. You know, like it's one of those things.
1: Yeah, absolutely. And so a couple of points that when you look at statistics what business executives need to realize or entrepreneurs is statistics or what I call laggard indicators. That's what's happened as a result of your behavior and actions. What you need to change is your behaviors and actions because that's what gets measured over time. The productivity happens after you treat someone well. That's how Edelman gets that 31% and 37%. Did that employee or employer treat you well? Yes. Then if that yes, six months later, then the productivity comes in and then they can look at the financials. That's a six month lag. And so that's the one thing that you got to think about. You got to treat it at the source. And hardly anybody's doing it. Somehow when we walk into those doors, we turn into this sort of rational model or that's just the way of doing it for so long. And everybody's done this. And so what I find sometimes ironic is that somebody will get a DM in Instagram or or LinkedIn and say, Oh my God, I could feel that person. Oh, that's so icky. That sales thing yet they'll turn around and in the same business do the same thing. And I've seen this with people. I, I even know, right. People who conceptually say something one way and then they act a different way in the business environment time and time again, it's just, like I had this one company I work. it was a roofing company. And this guy kept losing employees left, right and center. He hired me to fire these people. And so I said, okay, I was working with their HR department. And so when I started talking to these people, you know, these guys were crying about how they were being treated. And they were ready to go anyways. They didn't want to work under this guy. I got the sense right away that it was the CEO. And I looked at his attitude and I had a big talk with him. And I said, the reason why so many of these really good people are going to your competitors is frankly because of you. And so you really need to change. And so we worked on him. And to his credit, what he did was he turned around. He was one of these, the old school, you know, you got to command and you got to direct and you can't be a nice guy. One of those type of, nobody stayed. In fact, they had one person that stayed for like one hour. She got hired. And one hour later, she walked out. I can't stand this guy. <laughs>
0: That's my <messed up>. stuff. <laughs>
1: one hour, right? And that was because I think she was just waiting for the next bus, right? The next bus was 45 minutes away, right? It was within 15 minutes. He was yelling at some customer on the phone. And it was just a caustic environment. And there was a time period where he did change. And he changed for a bit. He started joking. People were going, like, what's, what's with this guy? Like, he's so changed. Everybody was joking in the office. And if you want laggard indicators, all of a sudden, we had this company that cared. And when they cared, somebody in the accounting department brought in close to three quarters of a million dollars in back invoices because she cared now. And she told me, the reason, Sunil, I didn't want to do this because I didn't care for this guy. If he lost money, I didn't care. I'm here to get paid. And I'm here, he's got a great pension. I'm about five or six years from retiring. I'm just gonna stick it out. She'd take off at two o'clock in the afternoon and he would complain about her. I don't know where she is, but she was an employee. He didn't want to get rid of her. All she did is she cared. Three quarters of a million dollars. She's now there for eight or nine hours. The communication increases. And then he goes back to the old way of doing things. She ends up leaving. And I had left by that time. She had left, another superstar left. And then they had to get temp employees. They all left. And he was back down to the same thing again. He asked me to come back again to help him. And I said, look, unless you change, you know, I, I can't help you. You need to change. That was that. That was that conversation. And since then, you know, there were other people that I knew in the industry says, yeah, he's back to the same thing. And like, nobody wants to work with him. So he stalled. His company stalled. He's stuck at a ceiling because of the contracts he has ongoing. Yeah, unfortunately, that's what happened.
0: Similarly, in my job, I found that I mean, I love the company I worked for, but they had similar things, especially around the pandemic, where you could just tell their values were not really aligned from an employee perspective. Like they were covering their asses basically. And now I'm just getting messages from like my friends who still work there or used to work there, and people are quitting like left and right, not even thinking about it. Like people who had 10 year careers there, high level CEOs, executives, managing directors are like, nope. Bye. Like, how is it that tenant assistance left within a span of maybe two weeks? And they're like, oh, it's not us. It's them. No, it is you. Why do you think, I'll, you know, it's completely you. How could you say that?
1: Yeah, and absolutely. And what I really like about what COVID has really done, and this is the reason why I'm so busy on the business and the personal coaching side, is because people are starting to realize, okay, what am I here for? is are starting to realize what really is our purpose, how do I really attract those people that are going to stick around? And we've had over a year and a half to sit and pause and think, and sometimes uncomfortably because many of us may not have had those conversations ever.
0: I didn't <laughs> until, I, you know, during that. And I realized, oh God, I need to leave because yeah. it just wasn't aligned anymore.
1: Exactly. And more and more people like you are thinking exactly like that. And it's just going to accelerate with this younger generation. I mean, I look at my two kids and what they care about, right? They're purpose-driven. And they will not align with people in their lives. And of course, now they have the benefit of me talking about intuition all the time. And so if you look at my 14-year-old, for example, if you look at the paintings behind me, you know, her intuition, so she's painted that she's been an artist since she was four years old, but she's driven by a purpose to help those with disabilities. And anybody who doesn't have that caring side is not in her circle of friends. And so she's actually started an official Canadian nonprofit business back in 2019. And she's raised over $30,000 because of her purpose of helping those with disabilities and illnesses. So people, and she's 14. So people are, she has a podcast series as well. So people are gravitating to her for that story. Who is this person? And not just her friends. I mean, you look at the principals and, and she just uh, won the leadership award at her junior high school out of the whole school. And she got the leadership award. And it was because, the principal said, was because what she demonstrated, what she did, you know, we we're so engaged in that podcast and what she's trying to do. And she's actually elevated a number of people that she's touched to care about other people. That purpose that's driven has now gotten people to her friends to help her when she has pop-up events. She's had a number of the faculty buy her paintings, a number of her friends buy some of these calendars and stuff like that. So she's got the customers coming in and the marketplace is loving her because now she's got podcast interviews, including FBI agents. She's got another one, Philip McKernan, coming up next week. This guy's massive out in Ireland. She's had a number of major influencers now say yes to her and no to me for my podcast series. (laughs) Because she's cuter, I'm not sure how that works. But again, think of her as a business. Think of her as an employer. Okay, forget that she's 14. Pretend that she's a business. Heartification is a business. Because of that story, because of what she's doing, that's gravitating to people because they trust her, that she's doing something that's genuine. She's helping other people. She's adding value. So as a business, you can substitute any product or service for exactly that. And that product or service, when you look at your marketing messages, if I'm a customer, what does that product and service Help me do? How does it enhance my life? What problem does it solve that makes me feel good? Again, the emotional center. That's what your amygdala is. That's where your intuition is. When you emotionally attract me to that using your marketing messages, when you care about my customer journey, whereas what your sales is, in a genuine way, I will know when you're when you're BSing me or not. If you're BSing me through your marketing message or your sales process, I'm gone. And I'll tell so many other people not to buy from you. This has happened even in the groups that I have. So this has to be done in a very, very genuine way. And it's frankly pretty easy when you get to trust yourself and you know what that feels for you. And a lot of times don't think about that. So that's how you do with your marketing. That's what you do with your sales and your marketing messages. So it's not just stopping the scroll on Instagram and having some pretty pictures. It's the customer journey. And my intuition is going to say, okay, you stopped the scroll here for me or you got me to watch your commercial. Do I believe you in the messaging? Do I believe you in the tweets that you have? Do I believe you in how you treat your people? And that customer journey is always looked upon. And so if you look at 15% will only buy with you right away, 85% you know, within two years, it's that two-year timeframe because that 15%, they already trust you anyways. That 85% are waiting for the two-year timeframe because their intuition is like a camera, always on within 33 milliseconds, assessing your brand's trust, and when I continue to trust you, okay, i buy from you the first time. If I continue to trust you, I'm going to buy from you a second time. And oh boy, I'm starting to tell other people. And now you've got revenues coming in. All you're doing is establishing trust that happens in under 14 seconds. And from a hiring perspective, bring in the people that are going to be just like that. Kick out the stars if you need to, because if anybody is there that is going to derail what you're trying to do is going against your core beliefs, which should be feeling based, they got to go and you hire slow, fire fast. That's a bit of a cliche, but you got to do that. If you continue to allow those cancers in the organization, they're the ones that are going to ruin it for you and change those people who are really genuinely there, that are talented, that are doing it there for good. They're going to turn on you. And now you've lost productivity. You've lost your bottom line. And you go from someone who feels like they're a 3D into a 2D statistic. And now they're going to spend their time on job boards leaving because they can take their talent to somewhere else. It's all because either you didn't treat them well, or you're keeping somebody that you should have let out a long time ago. We seem to think that these are hard decisions, but they're not. They're a decision. You think they're hard because we're so stuck in the old ways of doing things that we find it hard to pull away. But it's not hard. I've interviewed people in the depths of hell when it comes to their life. Homelessness, abused marriages, Assaulted many times, uh, you know, wanting to take their own lives. Yet, after that intuitive moment where they figure out intuition is really on their side, they've gone on to just live beautiful lives. Some of them are running multi million dollar businesses, others are just surviving as an ad- administrative assistant. Someone else, just uh, Ashley Michelle where she witnessed someone, her best friend, just murders, the, the, the body was in, actually in the bathtub. This girl couldn't even, after she, she, you know, she and then she was told she was murder victim number two. You know, intuition got her to calm down and she ended up escaping. Her boyfriend almost murdered her also. Lived life in fear. Couldn't even get out. Seven locks on her doors. And when I worked with her, we actually got her to trust herself and only trust the people that she really wanted to bring in. Finally open the door, go to the gym, from living like that in fear, in terror, PTSD, depression, and anxiety, to now she's just released a book, writing blogs, doing videos. And her purpose is just exuding. Like this girl is putting out six or seven videos on trauma, on healing. The blogs are just pouring out of her. And she's starting to sell tens of thousands of books. She just launched that like three months ago. But that purpose of healing has come out. And so many people are drawn to her. So if somebody like Ashley Michelle and various people like that, can really trust themselves and either make a business out of it or live life speaking their truth, living their purpose. That's what a business should be doing through their products and services. And that's called intuitive branding. Because again, you attract the people that are going to want to stick around and work for you because of that message. You've got those customers saying, wow, I love what you're doing for the environment. I love what you're doing for me. I love what you're doing for my friends, whatever it is, whatever that narrative is, but they're going to buy from you more and more. And then the marketplace is going to say, hmm, that's really interesting. These employees are saying some great things. These customers are doing some great things. I'm hearing some really good things through the reviews, as long as they're not doctored. Then the marketplace saying, yeah, you don't This is a great company to be with. And there's your trifecta. And that's the trust that's developed in under 14 seconds. And once again, that's how you crush your competition. Because as I said before, 99.9% of the businesses are stuck in the old ways of doing things. And I'm working with the ones that want to change.
0: So maybe it goes without saying, but... I know you've talked so much about intuition and all these gold nuggets, but what I like to do before I end up like wrap up the podcast is I always ask my guests, if you could give advice to your younger self, so what would that be? Is it intuition based or is there like something else that you would have told younger Sunil?
1: Yeah. So the younger Sunil would have been, if we take intuition out of it is that everybody has a voice. Everybody has their way of how they want to live. I guess if, if I want to take it away from intuition, one of the things that sometimes people look at when they look at not trusting intuition, they look at the failures they had. And sometimes there's a like convincing to say, well, you know, I failed here and I failed there. And in some cases they had not trust my intuition, which is not true. They actually ignored their intuition, but some people have this such a focus on failure and they derail themselves. And if they're hanging around the wrong people, they say, well, see, we'll see, we'll see. And so what happens is those failures are fantastic learning lessons for your intuition because those are the guideposts for your signals. And so don't focus way too much on the failures. And I'm ignoring the intuition comment uh, because that's something I'm taking out of that, which would be the first piece of advice. But when you focus on the failures and when you focus on what happened in the past and the traumas that you had and the people that have misguided you, that's okay. Honor those experiences. They happened. You can't get rid of them. What you want to do is think that's fine. They happened. It doesn't affect what I need to do to live in the present moment now. And so they've happened. Excellent. If people want to remind you, Those aren't people you want to have around you. When that happens, you surround yourself with the right people. And when you surround yourself with the right people that really care for you, that's when your success starts in any kind of business sense or in your personal side. I mean, you've probably come across tens of thousands, if not probably 100,000 people in your life. And me as well. I've like two, I'd say maybe three friends that I have very close to me that I share. Three. And it's quality over quantity. And those are the only people I need to move me ahead that's it. And so once you figure that out, it's not so lonely anymore because you trust yourself and all these other people are helping you move ahead. And you're actually detracting the ways that are going to take you away from that. And business is no different, right? When you're hiring, bring in the people that really care for you and what you're doing and get rid of the people that don't. Bring in the right customers, attract the right customers who are really there for you and get rid of the ones that are caustic customers because not every customer is the right customer. And so when you do that and you have that filtration mechanism between yourself, your employees, and your customer, you've won the game. Then it's gonna be a fun game to play. And then you have a lot to talk about when you retire.
0: That is the goal to live a fruitful, very exciting life, one that you completely made, you know, yourself versus what people told you. So absolutely. This has been really awesome. Can you tell the listeners where they can find you?
1: Absolutely. So you can go to Um, And that's where my intuitive branding is. I'm on all the, I'm on Facebook, Instagram, LinkedIn. Um, I'm on TikTok as well. With some of them, there's sort of the personal side and the business side. So the intuitionology.com is a personal side. There's this free seven day challenge there. If you want to take a look at how to really kind of get in touch with your intuition, the sunilgatsu.com is the intuitive branding side. So if your business is really looking to implement that, give me a call and uh, myself or one of my team members will get to you and we can talk about how to implement intuitive branding in your organization so that you can just crush the competition in under 14 seconds and win this game that you're playing.
0: Love it. Love it. Well, thank you so much for being on. I think a lot of people are going to find a ton of value from this. So thank you.
1: Not a problem. Thank you so much for inviting me.
0: Thanks for listening to the Corporate Quitter podcast. Make sure to check out corporatequitter.com for extended content and additional information about our guests. To connect with us, stay up to date on all things corporate quitter, and to learn more about how you can leave the 9 to 5, follow our host Gabby on Instagram or TikTok at SheLikesToGab.